wanna say I don't really wanna be well Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to join you for week three of our environmental series, Rewild. And I am just going to continue to build off of some of the things that Ryan has shared the first two weeks of our series. Of course, add my own take, and I'm excited to see where it leads in conversation. And we've taken a a different lens every year of, of doing this series now seven series in, and I find this one in particular interesting because it is really trying to offer up as much of an earth-centric focus as possible. Um, You know, we talked about Matthew Fox's uh, lenses, what he shares, and I want to go through really three points um, and do some examining and reframing of a couple of concepts. The first is the concept of wildness or wilderness itself. The second is returning to our relationship, our connection to the earth. And the third is our role as tender. I call uh, this podcast Tend to the Tender Wild. And that is in part uh, taking after a book called Tending the Wild, that I was one of the books that I read in seminary for an environmental theology and justice class. And it's left quite a huge impact on me and how I understand people's relationship to the earth. So I hope to share a little bit of that with you today. And I want to start by sharing a text that is, I think, quite commonly heard and used and try to again, reframe it, invite us to think about it in a different way. So let me read these words and you let me know if they sound familiar. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? You will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. So what would it take in our collective imagination to reimagine this text as being addressed to the earth? What would it look like to see the earth as the object of Jesus's call? To feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome foreigners, clothe naked, care for the sick, visit in prison. I don't think Jesus meant for a purely anthropocentric interpretation of his call in our lives to provide empathy, compassion, and action that ultimately work towards the betterment of not just other people, but other beings. And it's interesting to imagine the earth as hungry, the earth as thirsty, the earth as a foreigner in need of clothing, 
one that is sick, one that is imprisoned. But I don't think it's too far of an imagination to say these are very much some of the symptoms of the earth and climate change that we are seeing around us. And how much would it take for us to develop this kind of relationship with the earth? Where again, it is not some foreign object, but something that we truly see the changes of. I don't know if you've personally ever had a garden, but I think something that really speaks to me about how connected I am to the earth is whether I can notice small changes, whether that's the trees in my front yard or the herbs in my garden that I consistently attempt to grow over and over again. Whatever it may be, I think when we notice slight things, right? If you have a friend and they seem slightly off to you that day, you can tell if something is wrong. What would it be like to be able to notice those subtle differences of the earth around us? And again, this doesn't have to be some wild place uh, that is far away. It is truly in our backyards. But we do uh, a couple of things in our society. And again, none of this is addressed necessarily individually, right? We understand that there's something to be said about the fact, as we say it every year, Certain corporations hold so much more power in changing the climate than any one individual might. But in general, there are some things that I've noticed in American culture especially. And this includes the the development of public lands, of national parks, which I so dearly love. There's always been certain dynamics at play. And we have to be able to acknowledge those things. And this first concept of wildness or wilderness shows up biblically, right, in Christian text and in Christian terms. And there are also kind of these social dynamics around these terms. Wildness or wilderness was used to kind of demonize uh, Native American folks and indigenous folks who were here before the colonizers. Right? It was this thing, this concept that said they were lesser than the civilized right, white man who's coming in. It also is often meant kind of a barren place, right? Something that people are destined to be kind of cast out into. But I think in its whole definition, wild tends to be an allowing for the typical rules to dissipate to reconnect with elements that we've delineated as other. The word wilderness is used hundreds of times in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And it's almost exclusively the word midbar, which evokes a pasture, an open field. It can imply a desert. But again, in our modern world, we often equate it with a barren, harsh desert where nothing can survive. But really, it just means an uninhabited place. And this can even go to mean a good grassland or choice pasture. This concept of wilderness has been problematic, right? And there's a substantial critique of this concept that challenges its legitimacy, right? Especially as we understand its role in ethnography, culture, and race. And again, wilderness is deployed in the everyday sense in which Western society specifically 
signifies certain values, meanings, and emotional responses. Often wilderness has been something to overcome, to dominate as backwards. But then there's so many things that can only be cultivated in these certain wild arenas, in these certain wild spaces. You think about even a desert. There are certain plants, certain wildlife that can only exist in that kind of space. So when we say that the wilderness is backwards, that the wilderness is something to be cast out into, what are we saying about the rest of the beings there? Can you kind of see where I'm going with this and in, in the fact that often these things that we have cast out as a society, we forget how much beauty and importance they hold. That's why I love Sam Hedrick's lyrics, um, his song Good. It says, making home in the wilderness doesn't mean I've wandered off because I see you in the beauty that's here and I know that I'm not lost. We have to reframe wilderness and the earth, our relationship to it, and it also has to be reflected in our relationship to people, especially those who wild or wilderness have been used to demote them or demonize them. Wilderness can be absolutely beautiful. That is why we want to examine this word of rewild. So just to go back to kind of my understanding of wild or wilderness, this allowing for the typical rules to dissipate, to reconnect with elements that we've differentiated as other. I think it also is this beautiful moment. Um, again, Ariel Astoria has a wonderful poem that I'll post this week, and it's called The Wild Within. And it's allowing freedom, especially in your body, uh, to, to kind of come to the forefront, right? To say, this matters and this is important, that I don't have to play by all of the rules, whether that's in how I move or what I believe or my role in society or what I've been told I can and cannot do. There's a certain sense of awe and wonder and freedom that comes with it. So when we try to apply this to our faith in a, a wild spirituality, I imagine it to be not too far from the last book that we read as a group, right? That there's this journey, this adventure, and if you can come at everything that you experience, your questions, your doubt, your wonderings, with some sense of holy curiosity, I think that's a fantastic starting point for this understanding of rewild, right? Returning to something that was beautifully you know, uh, not boxed in before. And with that, I think, comes uh, a necessity of returning to our relationship and our connection to the earth. I mentioned that book. It's called Tending the Wild. And basically, what the book is about is exploring, particularly in California, how wild, wild and wilderness has changed over the decades and centuries, people's roles in cultivating it, and then also certain practices that we need to return to in order to cultivate the land um, and being very careful with our role as tender. And the book says, you know, people have always had a relationship with the earth for the positive and, you know, for the detrimental. 
but it allows the space for a native approach to nature, which regards it as alive and spiritual. And the author uh, makes note that even what appears to be natural about the California landscape is actually a result of deliberate human action. But because it goes back so far in our history, often history that was oral or has been erased, uh, we have kind of lost that understanding. So even the things that we think are, are wild are still a part of cultivation. So what would this landscape look like if we had never touched it? But the things that are important about tending the wild or tending this relationship is, of course, connection to others, to nature, a higher power, personal ceremony, ritual, and in that, um, connecting to, I think, our truest calling, our truest self even. And finding values, finding a sense of justice that can connect you to a purpose that Keep it from feeling like everything is just descending into nihilism, which I know I've been there. It's so easy (laughs) to find yourself in, especially if you care about things like the environment. Um, But finding this value set that even as things might not go as planned, you can come back to, you can center yourself on and say, I know what I believe. I know what I hope to be true. And I know that I can continue to hold hope that it doesn't end here. And I'm going to list um, some environmental principles uh, from particularly uh, the training that I received within my seminary. But again, um, these are just kind of general things. Take them or leave them or rework them as you need to. But when we say environmental justice, right, again, these words, we're affirming, I think, the sacredness of the earth. Some call it Mother Earth. We affirm interdependence of all species and the right to be free from ecological destruction. It demands that public policy be based on mutual respect and justice for all people as well, because again, it is all interconnected. And this is free from any form of discrimination and bias. And it mandates the right to ethical, balanced, and responsible uses of land and renewable resources. This might not sound like anything new, and it shouldn't, as these are conversations we have had uh, in significant ways over the years. But again, there's a difference of learning through lived experience versus reading about it in books or just seeing it as an experience outside of yourself. So the last part of this, I want to focus on how do we reframe our role as tender? right? Tend to the tender wild. If we can see the wilderness not as something barren, but as something that really needs to to be held and to be regarded um, as good and important and as very tender itself, how does our relationship change? Tend means to have care of, to watch over, to look after. And this connotates a relationship of stewardship, involvement, and caring, um, which of course is very different from the exploit it or leave it alone relationship, um, which is often, you know, what we find in Western society. And again, it was a shared role. It was always intended to be a shared role amongst all people. I think there's a beautiful sense of that moment that Maybe it has happened for you, or maybe one day will happen, where you find yourself just embracing the beauty of, of nature around you, 
And again, this can be noticing a bee that's working right in front of you as you're looking at the flowers. It doesn't have to be a Yosemite experience or um, some major life-changing event. It can just be right in front of you. And it just allows you to unravel a little bit, to soften. We were created, um, the Navajo say, to restore the beautiful. Um, but again, this restoring, I think we have to be careful about how we use this. Because if this is purely for the sake of humans, then is really our motivation in the right place? Again, we try to root ourselves in these things. So then how do we even begin to act on it? Again, we often use and overuse and possibly misuse this phrase of, you know, love your, love your neighbors, you love yourself. And how can you know how to love yourself if, or if you don't love your neighbor? And how do you know how to love your neighbor if you don't love yourself? My goodness, there are so many rules sometimes of where you're supposed to start or how you're supposed to be. And I think any time in which we even subconsciously are saying, you know, you really have to reach this benchmark before you can truly be giving love or truly be performing justice. I think we've missed the point of the process of progressing and learning more gently um, with ourselves, with others, with the earth. And I think often um, what I have picked up on is a beckoning towards a softer process. It doesn't have to be done at a fast pace. It doesn't have to be done overnight. Um, But how is the earth beckoning you to see the beauty around you? How is it asking you to be tender with yourself and therefore tender with it? I think there are a lot of signs that it is still possible to provide care for the earth in in right ways. Um, again, we don't we don't know. We never know what the next day might hold, um, but we have to hold some some sort of hope to keep going. Right? There are signs that it's possible that there are people who are working for the support of LGBTQ folks. There are folks who are. Um, supporting Black Lives Matter, Women's March, push for immigration law reform, um, acceptance of conscious exploration of the plant world, um, support for wild public lands, uh, wild creatures, movements such as the Purpose Movement, rewilding, permaculture, food forest, carbon farming, and so many other hints of possibilities. I think as as we all know, it is so difficult to kind of stand in the midst of all these things with hands open, being able to accept what is, hold hope for the future, to grieve what is past, even to grieve what might come. But I think at the end of the day, that is part of the call. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hurt and you weeped with me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was imprisoned and you visited me. Can you imagine the earth saying that to us? Potentially not, based on how we, the collective, have treated the earth thus far. 
but I do hope that we might imagine all of our actions and and all of how we hold systems accountable to say, can we potentially see these things as partnering with the earth rather than having dominion over, uh, or even we have to reframe this language of help. Helping versus serving is an important distinction. Helping means still one person has the power over the one who needs help. Serving is allowing yourself to be on the same level as them and to understand with humility that perhaps one day you might be serving someone else and in the next 24 hours you might need help, you might need to be served. Can we allow ourselves that grace? Can we allow the earth to not have all great days, right? All of that to to end with, um, as it is all part of the cycle of soil, so it is the cycle of faith. To have faith and to lose it, so that out of the decomposed remains of belief, new life, richer life, deeper life, can begin to take root. Can we get to a place where we can truly sing, making home in the wilderness doesn't mean I've wandered off. Because I see you in the beauty that's here, and I know that I'm not lost. Whether that's about our experience of the environment, experience of the work of justice, experiences in our lives that make it feel like all is lost. Whatever it may be, how can we make home even there? So with that, I leave you with a few thoughts. And I'm excited to join you all for conversation on Sunday. And again, we do this together because we know that none of this is meant to be done alone. As we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. It's been It's been a whole thing